Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. In our visits to uh, churches, one of the challenges that I face is how well the church does technology. Uh, those of you who work in that department here know that uh, I like things to work really well, and I was spoiled by a great a group of servants here. Um, when, I, when I stand up, the slide is always there, and if it doesn't work, it can be fixed quite quickly, but... Uh, the sound is good, it's clear, and, and, uh, and I appreciate that sort of thing, and that doesn't always happen. Um, there's all kinds of varieties uh, of uh, challenges with that. I was at a church recently where the audio and the visual were done very well, so on the way out, our, our after church was over, there was a husband and wife, a wife was doing the, the projection, and the wife and the husband was uh, taking care of the audio. And I said, hey, good job today. And then I noted to them, I said, when the audio and video people do a good job, nobody notices. It's only when you do a bad job that they notice. And, uh, and they replied, uh, that's our goal, not to be noticed. And it made me think of John chapter 3. Now, you're familiar with John 3.16. That's not where I'm going today. I'm going to the end of this chapter, John chapter 3 and verse 22, where, where we learn about whether we should be noticed or not. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. <clears throat> now, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, that's talking about Jesus, beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said to him, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Why is it vital that Jesus must increase and I must decrease 
First of all, it's vital because Jesus is the source of all that we have. He must increase and I must decrease. Or in the case of a church, he must increase and we must decrease because he is the source of all that we have. First of all, we would think of what we have as as the fact that he created us. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Sue and I enjoy the uh, TV show Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines, a couple that uh, fix up houses, if you haven't seen the show. Their their, uh, tagline is, we take the worst house in the best neighborhood and make it into someone's dream home. And then when all the people see the house, they praise the house and tell it what a great job it did building itself. (laughs) Is that how it goes? No. They say, oh, Chip and Joanna, you're the most wonderful things that sliced bread. And they go on and on and on. They praise the creator, not the creation. He... God created us. We are not self-made. We did not organize our genetic structure at conception. We did not create our family of origin, for better or worse. We did not decide which society we would live in. We did not design our life experiences or education, and we could go on and on. He created us. That's why he must increase and we must decrease in our respect of who is great here. God is the great one. Every time I see a little bit of goodness or greatness in myself, I should be turning that heavenward saying, thank you, God, for what you have done. I must praise God, not pat myself on the back. Did you notice how many Philadelphia Eagles football players, and if you were under a rock in the last few months, they won the Super Bowl. Did you notice how many of them, how many of the key people made certain to praise God before making any other comment on the game? Yeah. And, of course, their coach was Doug Peterson, who was raised right here in this church. Did any of you teach him Sunday school? Okay, that would have been in your, I mean, back in the day, though, right? Some people here helped him to learn that God comes first. And that was the first words out of his mouth. What an awesome thing. Does God care about who wins the Super Bowl? No. No. Not unless the Seahawks are involved. (laughs) God cares about people understanding where greatness comes from. And there is greatness in the world. Whether it's Olympic, um, the the tenacity and the perseverance to be an Olympic athlete or, or a championship football player or a student or a pastor or whatever. There is greatness in the world, but it comes from God because he is our creator. Every good and perfect gift comes 
from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And we've got to learn that. It's got to be a discipline in our life that when we see the good things that we have done and we can recognize those, we say, oh, thank you, God, for helping me with that. Not only has he created us, but he saved us. Back in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, part of the passage that Jim read at the beginning of the service, as many as received him, that's received Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I understand there's a great debate here that's, that's raged since the scriptures were completed, if not before that, about, about whether or not God does something to initiate our salvation or whether it's totally the responsibility of man. I think the scripture speaks for itself. I did not wake up one day and think, I want to know Christ. I woke up one day and my parents said, you're going to church when I was two weeks old. <laughs> and when I was three weeks old, they said, you're going to church. And when I was a year old and two years old and five years old, they said, you're going to church. And my Sunday school said there is a God. My Sunday school teacher said there is a God and there is a Savior. Now, I don't know what all goes into God's choosing, but I know that I'm a Christian because God started something and gave me the opportunity to believe. And so when I, when I appreciate knowing Christ, when somehow that rings true to me, whether it's in a worship service or or whatever moment in life we might be in, I need to stop and say, thank you, God, for what you have done. He saved us. We didn't save ourselves. The Apostle Paul makes this really clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see your calling, brother. See that word calling? He's talking about coming to salvation. God called us to himself. You see your calling, brother. Not, not many wise, not many According to the flesh, not many mighty or noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak, and God has chosen the, the base, and so on, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, if I, if, if I woke up one morning and said, man, I want to know Christ, and I'm going to go out and do this thing, and, and I'm going to show up in heaven and say, and I did it, God! And God's going to say, no, you didn't. See, the glory goes to God, and that's why he's the one calling us up. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God calls, and we respond in faith, and we're born again to give him glory. None of us, would stand up and claim to have saved ourselves, but when we fail to lift up Christ above all, we are in effect elevating some human part in the salvation, and we need to say, no, God saved us. Not only did God create us and, and save us, but he's gifted us. Look at verse 27 of John chapter 3. 
John answered, they, they came saying, you know, how's this all working here? And, and if, you're, if you're new to the scripture and new to this part of the story of Christ, you, you got several players in this play, okay? One of them, one of them is Christ himself, and then a, a prophet. That's what we should call John the Baptist. He was a prophet, and he was sent to talk about Christ. And then you have the Jewish religious kind of majority and authority in Israel. And, and they're trying to figure out, now, who is Christ and who is John and how does this all work together and so on. And they've come talking to John. And look in verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John said, whatever I have, whatever I am, whatever success in ministry has come, it's all from God. God gave it to me. God enabled me. God talks about that for us in the body of Christ in Romans 12. I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you, that's you and me, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, and that word soberly means just that. It could be literally used to mean not drunk. In the figurative way, it means don't think like a drunk person. Have good, clear, sober judgment. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body, and individually members of one another, having then gifts... Differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. God has gifted us to be in the body of Christ. None of us is better than anybody else. None of us is worse than anybody else in, in terms of a, a spiritual dynamic that God has put in the body of Christ. God gives every born-again believer in Christ a spiritual ability to serve others. And with those gifts, we're able to help one another grow and reach out to those who don't know Christ yet. The challenge is this. When we become effective in our service to the body of Christ, we can forget how we got there. I'm pretty good at this. Okay. No. God is really good at this. God reached down from heaven and said, spiritual gift there, there, there. Here's how I want you in the body of Christ. And that's why in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he goes on to say, we should value every single member of the body of Christ because they're all gifts from God. Paul, Paul addressed this same problem in the early church when he said this, what makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? See, we have to have the discipline of remembering I, got, I, got, I was created by God, I was saved by God, and he gave me this spiritual ability to serve in the body of Christ. What a privilege is mine because of what God did. And the last part of, about what God has done here is this. He created the church. He created the church. Every so often and from all different quarters, You'll hear people talk about religion being a creation of mankind to do this or accomplish that or whatever. And, and I understand the difference between religion and relationship with God and so on. But here's the important thing you need to remember. God created the body of Christ. 
This is not a human invention. Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The rock that Christ built on is not the person of Peter, but on his confession of Christ as the, as the or Jesus as the Christ. In other words, the, the historic person, Jesus, was the prophesied person, the Christ of the Old Testament. In other words, you're the savior of the world. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on that truth. So class, whose church is it? Who does the church belong to? Who is the head of the church? It's Christ. Is it his church? You got some work to do in family devotions there, buddy. When my, son, when my son was about that tall, we were driving down the road in Boardman, Oregon one time, and he looks over at me and he says, you're the boss of the church, aren't you, Dad? No comment. <laughs> no, son, don't ever use that word again. It's Christ's church. Uh, we were creating a promotional poster for a Baptist Network event, and we used a photo from one of our friends, somebody who's part of our network, and we did a little Photoshopping and added what we needed to communicate this event. And as soon as it was published, we heard from those people who created the photo who definitively said we did not have permission to do anything with their artwork other than display it. I get that uh, in part because my daughter is a professional photographer and she is very careful about how people see or use her work. Do you suppose that Jesus is any less concerned about his work, his creation, the body of Christ? This is not our church. This is his church and we need to we need to handle it like we would something that we've borrowed from a good friend and, and we're going to take care of it because it's his and he can come and have it anytime he wants. It's his. He must increase, but I must decrease because he's the source of all that we have. And number two, Jesus must increase because he is the reason for all that we do. Look at verse 28 of John 3. You yourselves bear me witness. Again, this is John the prophet speaking. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ or the Savior of the world, but I have been sent before or ahead of him. Now down to verse 36. He who believes in the Son, in Jesus, has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. Jesus must increase because he is who people need to see. Oh, I left that point off. He is who people need to see. 
Jesus is who people need to see. John knew that his position as a prophet existed to point people to Christ. He was not to be the focal point of a new movement of Jewish believers. His job was to soften the spiritual soil in the hearts of God's chosen people and to gather their attention so that they would be ready to hear God's Son. Why is this church here? I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about that for a minute. Why is this church here? You know, one of the, one of the big mistakes that people make, and it's a, it's a subtle, accidental shift in thinking that happens in virtually all churches at some point or in cycles, and, the, and that thinking is this, this church is here to make me feel comfortable. <laughs> That's right. There you go. You're one for two, buddy. <laughs> and, and so we want our kind of people, and we want the preacher to be attendant on our needs, and we on and on and on because I want to come in here on Sunday and go, man, this feels good. Now, I think church ought to feel good when you come in. But I think in part it ought to feel good because we're trying to do the right things. Jesus is who people need to see. When we do activities as a church, we need to keep that in mind. How can I make Jesus known? How can I make Jesus seen? When we lived up on the hill here in Ferndale, we had... uh, we had a, a pretty decent view of Mount Baker when we moved in, but as the trees grew across the street, we had a diminishing view, and then we had a, we had a, peek-a-boo, a peekaboo view. Put that in the real estate ad for sure. I often fantasized about buying the house across the street and cutting down the two big trees and then selling the house. Because I would have had a million-dollar view if I had done that. I would have seen straight to Mount Baker. It would have been awesome. Are you a million-dollar view of Jesus or a tree blocking the view? That's the challenge we got to wake up with every day, saying, am I, am I, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know what the, you know what the remote control for the TV was when I was a kid? It was my finger. <laughs> hey, go change the channel. <laughs> and then if you stood there just a minute looking, what would they say? You're a better door than a window. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you a door or a window to Jesus? I mean, are are you blocking the view? Or when people look at you, they go, wow, look at what God has done in that person's life. We are his hands and feet. That is absolutely true. Um, God is not going to work in the world without us. And so we have to be involved in his work. And, and so we're the hands and the feet, and we're the mouth. We, we are the, you know, the source of funding or whatever it is, and that's a very good thing. But it's, a, again, a subtle shift when we start to think, I'm the one doing the ministry. No, God does the ministry through us. 
And his desire is that people see him because Jesus is who people need to see. The second point that's probably not in your notes also, or or it's not on my slide, is this. Jesus is who we must be aiming to please. There's nothing wrong with saying thank you or giving a card or a gift of appreciation. Paul spent the whole last chapter of the book of Romans doing just that. When it's Pastor Appreciation Month, it's, it's wonderful to show your appreciation or at Christmas or birthday or whatever you want to do. And when it's Congregation Appreciation Month, oh wait, we don't have that, do we? We're off the hook. I heard, a, I heard a pastor say one time, you should find a way to tell your church you love them every week. Uh, no pressure, Kyle. Yeah. I didn't do that, but you should. Okay. <laughs> showing appreciation is entirely right and good but I have to remember that I serve people for Christ anticipating his reward not looking for the earthly appreciation if I do the Lord's work whether it's sweeping the floor or preaching a sermon or anything in between and then I kind of go around going hey how was that hey what'd you think Rob with the pretty good you like is that the best you ever heard on that you know did you see did you see what i did Did you see how i painted this again there's something within us that enjoys appreciation and it's it's nothing wrong with giving it nothing wrong with receiving it but the question we have to ask is is that why i'm serving Because if it is, my attention is shifted off of making Christ look good, and it's shifted on to making me look good. There's another thought here. I serve people for Christ without prideful motivation, dependent on God to meet my needs. Look at John 3, 29. John 3, 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, we would call him the best man today, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John drew this this, um, picture, image in the people's minds. And I know they didn't have weddings like our weddings, but I'm going to use ours to depict it to you. He says, he says, he says I'm, I'm the best man. I'm standing over here. And then here comes the, here comes the groom. And then the, the best man comes out and says, Hey, folks, don't I look good? I've been working hard on this wedding. Can you tell? And if somebody did that, you'd say, oh my, that poor soul. <laughs> and, and you'd see the groom up here cringing, and you'd feel bad for him. You wouldn't be that person, would you? Somehow thinking that this is about you and not about God. Now again, it's a subtle thing, but here's how it comes out sometimes. It comes out because 
we can't wait for God to show his appreciation. We've got to get it from other people. If we're pouting because we didn't get enough appreciation, then our eyes are fixed on us, not on Christ. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is a passage that has much to say to pastors, but it also speaks to the whole congregation. The elder, 1 Peter 5.1, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise... Just as the shepherd has responsibilities, likewise, you younger people, and he's using younger in contrast with elder. In other words, there are spiritual elders, there are spiritual youngers. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with prideful arrogance about how great you are. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and let him exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We appreciate being appreciated. We like when people recognize our work. There's nothing wrong with receiving that appreciation. But I believe what this passage is teaching us here now is this. Look, serve the Lord, humble yourself, do whatever God calls you to do, and don't draw attention to yourself and just wait for God to to build you up. There will come a time when uh, people will come around you and say, man, you're doing a great job. Thank you for what you've done. Uh, you know, there are, there are things that are done by people in ministry that nobody ever sees, but God sees, and he will lift us up. But it's hard at times to humble yourself and to just put yourself down and say, you know what, it doesn't matter if anybody ever appreciates me. What matters is, did they see Christ? Did they see Christ? Were they drawn to Christ? When we make God known and seen, he will take care of us. Listen, listen to the, the opinion, the appreciation Jesus gave to John the Baptist. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Did John the Baptist hear that while he was alive? 
I don't, I don't know, but I don't think so. But when he got to heaven, oh man, God said, good job, John. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. And all those people in Israel looked at Jesus because you said, look at him. Man, I must serve I must serve Christ. I must serve people for Christ without prideful motivation. Dependent on God to meet my needs. Ben Sutton told me a story. No, it's a good one, Ben. And I've shared it in a lot of places. I don't share your name because nobody knows who you are, but it's, it's one of those sermon in a sentence things. He went to Africa. You know, we sent him out there to work on the electrical in that new hospital. And near as I can tell, by the way, we were there, and near as I can tell, you did a good job. Uh, everything worked. It, it showed intelligent design. <laughs> but he said the first day we were there, uh, is a whole group of electricians, and then here's a, a missionary contractor, if you will, who sits them down, they're going to have a construction meeting, which is not unusual. You get, you get all the workers together, and you say, here's what we're going to do, one, two, three, four, and that's what he expected. He said, he said I expected, they say, well, we're going to start here, then we're going to go there, and we're going to do this and do that, and, and the missionary contractor said, here's what we're going to do today. Here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to make Jesus look good, and Ben went, oh, yeah. Yeah. See, sometimes we get all wrapped up in doing church. And the first thing we have to do is make Jesus look good. Or we get up in the morning and we have a job to do or a school to go to or whatever it is that lies before us in the day and we, we forget that that's not what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about making Jesus look good. That's our job. That's the job here that's the call in this new era of ministry. As you begin to work together, I challenge you to commit yourselves to make Jesus look good. Now, we've got a little change of plan, so I'm calling the audible. And uh, Brother Josh is going to come share. And for those of you that haven't been to a service like this before, here's what we often do. Is we have somebody come and speak right to the preacher and somebody speak to the congregation. And uh, Josh was down speaking to his own congregation and uh, has consented to come up here and share some uh, challenge with uh, your new pastor. And we will do my song, worship team, after this. hear me and uh we've had a christmas eve service where a lot of you came over there and first annual mount baker missions conference starts saturday so i expect to see you all at my church saturday <laughs> night you're supposed to bring some food too if you didn't know about it i'm glad for you guys that your two-year journey is basically over it's been a long road hasn't it and it's a great pleasure to have kyle pastor kyle and his wife and the whole family uh, just down the road from us, uh, I did know him when he was a youth pastor way back in the dark ages. I just want to briefly take you to a text that 
Pastor Kyle's probably not going to preach on too often because it's uh, basically telling you guys to do your job and uh, obey and submit to him. But it's Hebrews 13, 17, just one verse this morning. Hebrews 13, 17. It says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. This is why Pastor Kyle's not going to preach on it too often. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, get, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The first one there, obviously, is obey your leaders. You've got elders here, but uh, this morning we're specifically talking about Pastor Kyle. So obey Pastor Kyle. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Some of you aren't sure about this. I will refer you then to James 3.3. Does anybody know what James 3.3 says about obedience? If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, I'm not suggesting Pastor Kyle or the elders are going to put bits in your mouth and make you turn wherever they want to go. But you get the principle. You need to obey Pastor Kyle. When Pastor Kyle says jump, you say? You don't make excuses. When he gives an application in the sermons, you implement them in your life. When he counsels you over different issues, you obey them. You obey and abide by his advice. And it says submit as well. Now, we don't like that word, submit, but it's literally to place yourself under. And it goes with obey. Wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. The husband, uh, the wife actually, should, could be smarter, wiser, more intelligent. But that doesn't change the reality. You could be smarter, wiser, more intelligent than Pastor Kyle. doesn't matter. You, the church, are going to submit to Pastor Kyle. So therefore, as Pastor Kyle submits himself to God, you submit yourself to his leadership. So if that beloved ministry gets cut, a sacred cow is chopped up, another strange program is added to the ministry here, you willingly choose to follow and submit under Pastor Kyle because you firmly believe that he is being led by the Holy Spirit. So that's the command, obey and submit. Now, again, that doesn't sound the greatest. You're just like, all right, you can do it out of obligation because that's what we're supposed to do. The Bible tells me so. <laughs> but the point of this morning is, and there's the three words I want you to get, obey for joy. And that's really the heart of the rest of the text. Why do we obey? Why do we submit? Because there's joy. That comes out of it. Follow the text here a little bit. It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So reason number one, Pastor Kyle keeps watch over your souls. Now, this is fun. The original language every so often puts out something that's just absolutely brilliant. The word there in the Greek, keeping watch, literally means no sleep. <laughs> Pastor Kyle is not going to sleep anymore because he is in this church. He's watching over you. I mean, just imagine. All the church matters are going to keep him up at night. Your idiosyncrasies, your annoyances, all your zits, your nitpicking about how Pastor Dave used to do it this way. It's going to put bags under his eyes. He's going to wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweats, wondering... Who's going to want to change the color of the carpet today? 
It won't matter what sleep number he has for his mattress. <laughs> now, that's obviously not quite the intent. They're losing sleep, but really it's about they're keeping watch over your souls. And the essence here is it's spiritual. Pastor Kyle is now entrusted by God to watch over you. He's going to be in prayer for you. He's going to be wrestling over the meaning of Scripture so he can convey what it says accurately to you each week. He's going to consider how best to equip you for ministry. Constantly, he will be discerning how God will use his congregation for his glory. That's how he's going to be constantly watching over you. Now, friends, it's a heavy responsibility to watch over people's spiritual lives. What can you do to make it better? Obey for joy. Obey for joy. We don't want him to have to do this as a drudgery. And so it says in the text, why? He's got to give an account. Who's the account he's going to give to? It's to God. He has to give an account to God. He's got to explain why he preached what he preached, why he confronted that person, challenged that person, put him under discipline, why he made the decisions he made. Now, let me ask you a question. What account of this church do you want Pastor Kyle to give one day? Oh, man, God, it was so tough. There was that one gossiper who just spread all these horrible stories. Oh, God, it was just terrible. That person never wanted to serve at Ferndale. God, I'm sorry about missions. I mean, finances just weren't there. Wood's Coffee would always get a better offering than we did. <laughs> or, or, thank you so much, God, for letting me be the shepherd of First Baptist Church in Ferndale. They prayed for me. I never had to ask volunteers. They were popping out of the woodwork. They were so eager to share their gospel for friends. People came to Christ so often, we didn't even have to do evangelistic services. They were rolling in the door. We couldn't even get the baptismal empty. There were people getting baptized so often. It was amazing. Thanks, God. Thank you for letting me be the pastor. Don't let your pastor be ashamed before the God of the universe. Don't let him. You stay heavily involved in your prayer, your energy, your finances, your time. And if you aren't doing anything yet, wow, what a great time to start. If you didn't like serving under Dave, who cares? You got a great new opportunity right here. <laughs> Obey so he can give a joyful account to God. Obey for joy. Now, carry on. It says, let them do this with joy. So all this is for Pastor Kyle, to give Pastor Kyle joy. We want him to have the excitement, the pleasure of doing the ministry here. So your goal, congregation, church, is to make Pastor Kyle's job a joy. Do everything with God's strength to ensure Pastor Kyle has the best job in the world. Leave, no, leave Kyle no doubt that it was God's will to leave a dear, dear group of saints in California. It's tough doing that. There should never be a Monday morning where he comes into his office and starts writing that resignation letter. Don't ever let that thought cross his mind. 
He delights in coming into the pulpit every Sunday to preach and teach the Word of God because he sees so many people wandering the hallways, serving with joy. And beyond the walls of the church, out in the highways and byways. People, you sacrificially give to all the ministries of the church so we can be better equipped and effective in reaching Whatcom County, Washington State, and the world. And do remember Pastor Appreciation Month in October. Just overdo it. <laughs> Flood him with meaningful gifts on Christmas. And you guys, some of you are taking notes right now. Take out a pen, paper. Pastor Kyle turns 45 on August 15th. <laughs> Any questions? You have six months to figure out what his likes are, what he enjoys, desserts, how many. I, I want this church to excel and the business of gift cards. Just flood them. They need dates. I didn't look up your anniversary. It's somewhere on Facebook, I'm sure. <laughs> and give genuine compliments. Man, I appreciated that, that message this morning. But why do you appreciate it? Why? Because it's changing your life. And don't do it every Sunday. You know, if you go up, Pastor Kyle, great message. Next week, Pastor Kyle, great message. Pretty soon he starts tuning you out. Do it when it's really meaningful. And eventually, Pastor Kyle will actually think he's got the best job in the world. He's wrong. I do. <laughs> My people at Baker Creek Bible Church are the best. So he's going to have to settle with second best. He can't top my people, so you'll have to settle for second best, Pastor Kyle. But that's the goal for you. Serve, get involved, so Pastor Kyle will have joy. So obey for joy. Here's another one. Not with groaning. So your goal is for Pastor Kyle to have joy and not groaning. Now we all know what this is. It's like, oh, that person again. Don't be one of those people that call the church and Pastor Kyle sees the caller ID. Don't be that person that pulls him aside every Sunday and he's like, oh no, I got to run. I got to find a way. And he's like, I don't want to talk to that person again about some of their problems again. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be that volunteer who never does the job as instructed, causing Pastor Kyle to smack his head in frustration. Oh, these people, why can't they just do what they're told? Obey for joy! Last, final thing. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You, you can make it miserable for him, but you don't get anything out of it. You don't gain anything. See, the verse states that if Pastor Kyle is groaning, he doesn't have joy, it's not a benefit. So you can complain about his preaching all you want. doesn't do anybody any favors. You can say, I don't want to apply that application in his message. doesn't benefit you one bit. Backbiting, gossip, just drags the sheep down. Causes division. The body of Christ weakened. There's no good for you. So you obey for joy. What do you gain by not submitting to Pastor Kyle? You're exactly right. You answered it correctly. Nothing. 
There's no profit. So my friends this morning, my challenge for you is to obey for joy. Obey for your joy. Obey for his joy. And I'm going to remind you of one last thing that I said at the spring banquet that I was at last year that you invited me to speak at. And we were looking at possibly someone else. It didn't work out. Your life begins with Pastor Kyle, new pastor here. Changes start. Not sure about him. Doubts arise. Did we get the right guy? Some of you might try to leave. It might come to a particular nice church in Bellingham. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you now what I told you then. If I see you walk in my church, I'm going to tell you to get back in your car and come right back here. For your calling is to obey Pastor Kyle for his joy. So church, what's your task this morning? Ah, that wasn't very loud. Let's try that again. One more time. What's your task? Obey for joy. Amen.